Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin and get warm. I don't know about you, but it's been a bit of a long day for me, so I've got a bit of coffee out with the usual refreshments for the evening. Oh, it does taste burnt, doesn't it? Well, it might be appropriate for this night's story. Stay tuned for that. As I'm now known for pronouncing my love of zombies, I did receive a recommendation from a reader for a zombie book. Listener Adam Hucker recommended Diana Rowland's My Life as a White Trash Zombie. Due to some unexpected time off from the things I do with my daylight hours, I managed to read the book in short order. Ms. Rowland gives the protagonist sentience and agency, which a zombie purist may take offense at, perhaps claiming that makes the person a ghoul, not a zombie, but I split no such rotted hairs. That difference does make it stand out, and I have to say I did enjoy the book. I've put a link to the book's Amazon page, but do remember that you can probably get the book easily from your local library. That's what I did. If you're paying your taxes, use your library. You've paid for it. Anywho, on to tonight's fiction. Our story tonight is brought to us by Simon Bestwick. Simon was born in Wolverhampton in the 1970s, but his family moved to Manchester when he was just two, and he's lived thereabouts until just this past year, where he pulled up stakes and moved to Liverpool. He has worked as an office worker, fast food operative, WP operator, training administrator, and call center worker. Now he is self-employed doing what he loves, writing. He's published two novels, a chapbook, and three short story collections. He's currently shopping a new novel to publishers and retooling yet another, so keep your ears to the ground for Mr. Bestwick's upcoming work. What you will hear tonight will be Children of Moloch, which was first published just a few years ago in Death Rattles. And now, Tales to Terrify presents Simon Bestwick's The Children of Moloch. A dark and stormy night was then, is now. Dusk on a bleak windswept moorland 
in the north of England. A town's lights gleaming dully into life far off. Grey and black clouds thicken in the distance. A promise of rain. The Katina's engine clanks and knocks. Doesn't matter now, however this goes. Just get me that bit further. They may be idle for a little while, not long. And a road, long overgrown and cracked by sprouting weeds that leads through thickets of silver birch, which in the twilight look like bones, to a clearing where a gutted house looms out of the dark, pale walls black by fire. Hill view. I stop the car. The engine ticks and cools. I get out, walk towards it. The years haven't been kind. They've almost finished what the fire began. Standing in the front doorway, I see most of the first and second floors are fallen in. Above the roofs, a cage of charred and rotted ribs. Lightning flashes in the distance. Thunder cracks as I go inside. Motion flickers at the edges of my sight. Shadows, rats, birds. No, they're more. I need them to be more. Outside, the woods lose definition in the failing light. Without form and void, and darkness is upon the face of the deep. High on the moors, clean air, green for miles around. This should have been a haven for children in its care. Should have echoed to their laughter. Instead, it was a cavern for their weeping. Some of it mine. I can hear it now. Can hear it still. It's never stopped. Get up! For fuck's sake, cover yourself, you fifth little shit. Brownlow pulls his zip up. I hear it, don't see. My face is in the pillar. My teeth still biting down. I said move. I'm afraid to. It feels like he's torn me open down there. If I sit up, my guts will fall out my arse. Always feels that way, but each time I'm afraid it'll be for real. Brownlow whacks my arse. I squeal, can't stop myself. Get fucking up, he says. I do as he says. Get dressed. I do that too. My pyjamas and dressing gown were on the floor. Something wet runs out of my bum, down my leg. I whimper with fright. I was right. I'm going to die. You filthy little trog. You shat the bed. Brownlow cussed me on the side of the head. My eyes sting again. I won't cry anymore. I ought make you lick that up. He did once. But not tonight. Tonight he spent. Can't be bothered now. Go on. Fuck off. I keep my head down. I glance up once. Brownlow lights a cigarette, adding smoke to the room's stale reek of sweat and cum. He's tall and thin, pale and barefoot in his jeans. Bare-chested too. Thin face, blue eyes, a fringe of blonde hair, like a broken wing falling across his eyes. He smokes in silence, eyes lidded and dreamy. Already, he's somewhere else. I inch toward the door, 
Then he noticed me again. Why are you still here? Fuck off, I said. Yes, Mr. Brownlow. I cinch the dressing gown cold and go out fast before he changes his mind. Hillview's corridors are long and dark. Wind howls, moans, outside the trees heave and thrash like a black and spiky sea. They don't look like trees anymore. Lots of shadows in the corridors, corners, alcoves, bends, places for things to hide. Here and there, light peeps out under doors, staff. I tiptoe past, one opens, a big shape stands in it. It's Ronnie, a giant from where I'm stood. Hairy forearms, black hair gone wild, jowled hairy face, a permanent reek of stale sweat. He grins, licks his lip and blows me a kiss. I want to run, but I don't. No running in the corridors. I walk, fast. His eyes on my back, I can feel them. Brownlow's little bum boy, I hear him call. You're mine after him. I look back at him. Everyone knows Ronnie. He's the worst of the lot, even worse than Brownlow. He's promised me, he says, once he's got bored of you. The cold, dark. They switch the heating off most nights, even in November. Even up here on the moor. Scab says they skim money off the heating budget. Wrapping thin, scratchy sheets tight around like a mummy. The sick warm trickle from my ass. Sure it must be soaking through the seat of my pyjamas. Shit blood and spunk. Oh God. Tried sneaking in on tiptoes. Hope no one'd hear. No one know. But of course they did. Matt and Car, Matt and Car. So you asked for a marathon bar. Tommy Chapman in the bed next to mine. He's got one joke and won't shut up with it. Keeps going on and on. Chinese water torture. Won't fucking shut up. Matt and Car, Matt and Car. So you asked for a marathon bar. Like he thought I had a choice. Like any of us do. Martin is a bummer. Law. Hateful crooning, a whispered chant, the kind kids do. That's from the other side of me, from Kieran Harvest bed. Martin is a bummer. Martin sucks Brownlow's the ache. Sell you's ass for a marathon bar. Sniggers and whispers in the dark. No one else is joining in tonight, but no one here's going to stop it either. Half glad of something to laugh at. A bit of blood sport, and half glad it's not them. You suck Brownlow's shit, don't you, Car? You suck it right out his arsehole, don't you? Kieran's face is a thin white blur. He talks about this stuff a lot, too much. Scab says he's a queer, but won't he admit it? Kieran's not that big, but he's wiry and cruel, and his hard, knobbly fists punch at the pain spots with a sniper's aim. Balls, solar plexus. The big muscles of the arms and legs. But he's even better with words. Eh, eh, I'm talking to you, Car. Said you suck Brownlow's shit. Martin Car, Martin Car, you suck his shit 
here licking his dick. Does Scabby Charlotte know? Car, does she? Does Charlotte know? The thin, hissing whispers, wet and gloating, like snakes probing and violating, just like Brownlow, just like Ronnie and the rest. I'd kill these fuckers if I could, care and harvest most of all. The scabby Charlotte know you suck Brownlow's cut and then Kieran's cut off, squealing in pain, but muffled like a pillow shoved over his face while about a dozen hard, meaty smacks sound. The sniggers and whispers all about have cut off. Even Chapman shut up. Stillness, then. Call us that again, you fucking little cunt, and you'll die screaming. It's a girl's voice, but no one laughs. Much less makes a move to help Kieran harvest. The hitting stopped, but Kieran's still making noises, even though the pillow's jammed in his face. I can't see what she's doing, but I can tell it hurts and I think, good. She doesn't stop till Kieran's crying, and then she pulls the pillow off his face and lets him breathe. Now shut up, Harvest, you fucking scum. Her low voice is soft and coarse at once, hard and gentle, tender and cruel. There's sex and passion in it, and I don't even really know what they are yet. You okay, Tinny? Only Scabs calls me that. Yeah, I say to sound hard. Scabs' eyes gleam black in the darkness. I see her coiled like a cat on Kieran Harvest's bed. No, I say, because I can't lie to her. The eyes gleam and smolder. All right, come with me. She kneels up on the bed, lean and thirteen, damaged and magnificent. And none of you saw me. I wasn't here. She jabs at whimpering Kieran. Especially not you, cunt, right? There's a sob from Kieran as she takes as a scent. Come on, then. All right. I pull up my dressing gown on. Scab slides off Kieran's bed and walks like a cat for the dormitory door, and I follow. Rain spots fall through hills views, skeletal roof. The ground's uneven and doubly treacherous in the failing light. The rubble's clogged with rain-washed earth and overgrown with brambles and grass. One wing's almost intact. Almost. The holes in the floors and the walls are still black with soot. Rotted flights of stairs lead up to higher levels, and I crave to go up them, but I know I won't. Too dangerous. Not risking it. Maybe I should. Playing safe's not got me anywhere so far. A noise. Behind me. Dull echoes in the corridor. I turn. Nothing there. A flicker of shadow. Trick of the light. Or movement, perhaps. Sudden, impossibly swift. Nothing moves as fast as that. But if it did, I might just have caught the briefest of glimpse of it. There's a pocket torch in one of my pockets. Among other things, I put my hand in the pocket. Grip it tight. Tinny. I spin about, but there's no one there. It's getting dim. I take out the torch and switch it on, shine it about. Lightning flashes, almost directly overhead. I must be mad coming here, but I had nowhere else to go. A thundercrack shakes the building. Flakes are rot and wood whisper down. A hole in the wall, 
gaping out over the rubble sprawl that fills the building's floor. When I flash the torch over the wreckage, for a moment I see a row of long, thin black bodies, thin white faces, eyes a glitter and cold. Then there's only the quickening rain, glittering in stray light, and the coiling play of shadows and twilight in the dust. Tinny! I spin and shine the torch up a staircase, and for a second I think I see her. Scabs? The torchlight marks a patch of white on a dark stained wall. Scab's face. No, she was there. I know her face from a bit of unmarked plasterboard. For Christ's sakes, wouldn't I now? A sign, though. It's a sign. Or so I choose to think. And if it's madness to think that, then madness let it be. Sanity, or what I've seen of it, seems overrated now. Slowly... And carefully, I climb the stairs. Their eyes are bent and soften underfoot, and yet they hold. That nice? Yeah, my voice a thin breath, my breathing ragged and fast. Keep doing it, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Scabs kisses my forehead, strokes my hair, brings my face to her breasts. They're surprisingly big for a girl her age. She's not much older than me, not even by a year, but in another way she is. I had a family who kept me safe till they died. I say a family, I mean mum and dad. They died, and I fell into the trap, got followed from foster parent to foster parent. All fuckers like Ronnie, Brownlow, the other bastards who run this place, said I had a bad attitude. A problem child, so no one want me. And I'd end up somewhere like here. Scabs was always different. Got her name because she used to scratch herself. Her cunt. So the skin bled and there were scabs there. Then no one wanted to fuck her. Called her scabs as an insult. She wears it as a badge. Charlotte's a given name. She hates it. Charlotte got fucked, she told me once. Scab never does. Her hand goes up and down my dick. Suck it, she tells me, and I take a nipple in my mouth. She breathes out through her nose and makes a noise in her throat. We're naked under blankets in the place Scabs calls the nest. It's at the end of a corridor on the third floor, past the day rooms, the playrooms. It's sort of a little nook with a window, a dusty little place, for someone to sit with a book and look out the little round window over the moors. Door's long been sealed up, but Scabs knows her way around Hillview. Climb through a hatch in the ceiling, crawl across timbers in the narrow space between the ceiling and the floor above, and you'll find a gap, a gap in the ceiling of the nest. Scabs has never told me how she found it, but she makes sure no one else can, fitting up a piece of board to cover the way in. It's our place. She keeps things here. Blankets. Toys, comics, books, a first aid kit she stole from somewhere, spare clothes. She looked me over, cleaned me up, and now we're doing other things. Her free hand guides mine between her legs to a thin thatch of coarse hair and what feels like a puckered wound. I rub at it and hope I'm doing it right, although it's hard concentrating on anything other than what her other hand's doing. Scabs comes fast. 
before me, even though she started me before. She grips me tight, breath quickening, pushes her face down into my shoulder and lets out a muffled, squeaking cry. We stay like that for a moment or two, her hand loosely squeezing my dick. Then it starts to pump up and down again and she lifts her head, her chin touching my hair, pushing my face down into her breasts again. A moment later, it all goes away for a few precious seconds. Hillview, Brownlow, Ronnie, the pain of my ripped arse, everything, gone. Then there's just a warm, delicious tingle that races through my body. Down arms and legs and chest and head that rushes down to where Scab's hand is before surging, spurting out. I gasp, squeeze my eyes shut, see colours, bright, shifting, then still. We fall against each other, sit up, my arms about her, hers about me. I move my head on her breasts, letting the softness shift and pillow me. Her skin is soft and smooth and warm. Without scabs, I don't want to think about my life here. Without scabs, I couldn't survive. There are ways out, always. There have to be. Scabs is one. Without her, it'd be a razor, something sharp, up along the wrist, or a belt looped around a coat hook. Others have left that way, left for good. I'll leave now and again, for brief seconds, and then come back, and scabs is how I leave. She kisses my hair. I love you, Tinny. Love you too. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. I don't know why she sought me out. Scabs needs no one. Even Brownlow and the rest are careful with her. The other kids fear her. Even the boys. But for some reason she took to me. Maybe I remind her of someone. I don't really care. I just cling to her. Rain rattles on the grimy window glass. Scab's fingers smooth my ruffled hair. After a bit, she starts to sing softly. All the pretty horses. Then she stops. Tell you a story, she says. Okay. Okay. A pause. Thunder and wind. You ever wondered what it would be like if we were wild? Wild? I tilt my head up, look at her. She kisses my mouth absently and strokes my head to make me lower it again. Wild, she says, like the wolf. Think about dogs, what they're like. They're tamed. They do what we say. We're tamed too, people. But wolves, wolves are wild. Imagine if people went wild like that. Like if you turned dogs loose into the woods, made them fend for themselves. Some would die, couldn't hack it. But the ones that lived, they'd go wild come like wolves and they wouldn't let anyone tame them again ever I close my eyes lightning flickers through them wind rain howling thunder did you ever hear asked Scabs of the crail no no she thinks looks for the words they used to be like us Tinny kids like us just like us you know they're in a place like this, with fuckers like Brownlow and Ronnie and the rest. They were just like us. My eyes still closed. Outside, the only sounds of soft hissing. The winds died, 
and the rain falls straight, hiss, hiss. A thought, the still calm centre. And it went on for years until they turned, turned round, turned on the bastards. Her hands moving, stroking my hair. Her arms are around me now like iron. The house they are in, a place like this, it burned, burned down. And all the bastards, the Brownlows, the Ronnies, the Kieran Harvest, they all died screaming. They burned to death. And the children, the other children, the good children like you. And you, Scabs. She squeezes me briefly. Yeah, and me, sweetheart. The good children like you and me, they ran away. Out into the woods and onto the moors. Into the dark, into the wild. Hiss, hiss, hiss goes the rain. The slow, smoothing action on her hand, on my hair. And I ask. And they never came back. They're still out here. Never came back to the grown-up's world. There's a crack in Scab's voice. A hitch and a hoarseness. And I squeeze her hard. Why would they? They've got their own life now. Their own life. It's beautiful. And it's wild. They're nothing like us. Not anymore. The wild is the wolf. Have you ever seen a wolf, Tinny? I mean a real one. Just pictures. In books of fairy tales when I was a kid. Because wolves were always the evil. Big bad wolves. But I've seen photos. Used to watch stuff like Wildlife on One. I've seen the real things briefly. Telly. Yeah. Then you know. They're proud and they're beautiful. And they know things dogs forgot. Like how to hunt and kill. Kill? Kill. Hiss goes the rain, and then a far-off rumble. They're still out there, Tinny, and just like the wolf, they've learned things we don't know. How to live in the wild, in the trees, in the water, in the earth, on the moors. They live in the night, night people. They've learnt magic, tricks of hiding, seeking, catching. They're out there still. And even though they're nothing like us anymore, they remember they once were. And sometimes, just sometimes, if it's the right kind of night, the right time, the right place, if you're lucky, they might be listening. They might hear your call. And what if they do? I'm not sure I like the sound of the crail at all. They bear you away, Tinny. Her voice is a whisper choked by tears, like she's drowning in the rain. They take you with them, to where they live, to become like them. They bear you away. God knows if I'll ever get down from here. The rises have snapped under me twice, and it's almost pitch black now. Maybe, maybe I won't have to. Please let me not have to. I've gathered things on the way as I climb. The things I need, they go in my pocket with the things I brought. I've gathered broken feathers, torn the leg off a decaying bird carcass, a rusted nail, slid free of woodwork softened by decay to the crumbling consistency of a chocolate flake. All of it goes in there to build the shrine. Nearly the only part of the third floor that's not gone is the nest. I pick my way down to the disintegrating floor towards it. It wasn't brick that sealed it off, only plasterboard wallpapered over, all now rotten and mostly gone. I tear the last of it away and clamber through. 
The attic above is all gone now. The nest floor is stone. The floor is safe. The window is unbroken, but even light from the candles is hard. The wind blows through the ruined corridors. The reality of it quivers me for a moment. Here I am, perched in this brickwork blister on the building's flank. So easy for it to break loose, so close to falling to the ground to shatter. Is that how it will end for me? At the last, the pratfall, the punchline of a bad joke. I can't afford to think about that. I take my treasures from my pockets and lay them on the floor. The thin heat of the candles perched on the windowsill briefly warm my face. Then I pick up the first pieces of wood and stone and I begin to build the shrine. Nearly there. Come on, shh, come on. Scabs brought a few little treasures from the nest. One of them, the torch, she always shines up above us, lighting up the attic space. Scabs knows Hillview and its cancered heart. She has the map. Dust swirls about us. Dry, catching at the back of my throat, I stifle a cough. Shh! Crouching low, more from instinct than from need, because the attic windows are narrow and dirty, and who's going to be looking through them? Scabs crosses the attic floor. Her feet are bare. The soul's dark with dust, almost black. Here, sit, watch. The torchlight plays over it. There's a thing she's made from three short planks of wood. Stands about two feet high, all told. One plank lies flat, a heavy stone on each end to weigh it, and to prop the other two. The rest against each other, so there's a triangle, where the two planks rest together. A hole has been bored through them, and a loop of rope passed through, both to secure them into place. The hole's wide enough for a thick stick to have been pushed through as well. Three pieces of string hang from it. One's tied round a seashell, another a piece of bottle glass, a third a mouse's skull. Found up here, maybe, or from an owl pellet in the woods. The woods around Haleview are full of owls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. What is it? Shrine, she says. Shrine to the Crail. 
There are other stones laid out on the bottom plank that serves as the floor of the shrine. A tin ashtray at its centre, coated in layers of char. Scabs takes out two candles and a box of matches. She lights the candles one by one. She drips melted tallow on the shine floor and old rings of congealed wax and fixes them in place. Scabs takes paper, dry grass and twigs from a pocket, shreds and breaks them into an ashtray, pats them down flat, gropes across the floor without looking up at me, eyes on the ashtray, looking for my hand. I reach out and my fingers grip. Been in a few places like this, she says, in and out. They say I'm trouble, don't fit. And then some bastard like Brownlow. But I kept my eyes open, ears too. Learned how to get by. How I heard about them, the Crail. And I learned how you call them. You take wood and stones like this from a place you are. See how it's all done? The stone roots it to the ground. The wood, she lets go of my hand and looks upwards as she thrusts steepled fingers toward the ceiling channels it up you need the rope to hang your offerings in the smoke see something grown the cockle shell something made the bottle glass and something dead the mouse skull like a radio to send a message out to them if they listen and if they want to help she takes a folded piece of scrap paper from her pocket and puts that atop the tinder Put your message on first, then your gift. Gift last of all. She takes something from her pocket, a glint of purple foil, a bar of dairy milk, or part of one. The stub end of a big bar. She unwraps it. Four squares of chocolate. She breaks them up and puts them on top of the message and strikes a match. The flame grows and swells in the dark. And then, then you just send your message, and she lights the tinder. It flares up fast, the glow is fast and warming, but the chocolate burns, and it's a harsh, jagged smell, and I flinch back. Scabs takes my hand and holds it tight. Same every night, she says. Every night when I come up here, send the same message. Get us out, you and me, and anyone else who wants to come. Burn Brownlow and Ronnie and the other fuckers. Burn them to dust. Burn this place. Her voice is choked and ragged. To my horror, I realise she's nearly crying. Just get us out of here, she whispers. The glass and the cockle shell and the mouse skull, they bob and swing and dance in the hot smoke. Bear us away. I don't know what to say. Scabs is mad. Must be. The thought of the crail is so scary I can't believe it. Don't want to, maybe. Why? I ask her. Why do you want them to do that? Why? Her face is ravaged, a drip with tears. Why? Why would you not fucking want them to, Tinny? Why would you want to stay like this? Get fucked up in the arse off cunts like Brownlow and Ronnie, bastards like that. And just have to take it and take it because you're just a kid and they're grown-ups? Because no fucker will believe you? Bastards. I'll be the same when we're older. Or it can be like the Crail. Don't get old and don't die. What, like vampires? No, you div, not like that. Whatever. 
No bastard will ever hurt us again if we're like that. If we're Krayo, we can make them fuckers like Brown will pay and pay and pay for what they've done to us. She's pinned everything on this. She's mad. She loves me, and maybe I love her too, but she's mad. Must be. But what if she's not? What if they're real? What if they come? I try to picture the creatures she talks about and fail. Try to imagine being one of them. I still believe in heaven. Hope it's a place I can escape. Brownlow and Ronnie and Kieran have us one day. Hell would be this place. Hailview. Only without scabs. Made their prey for all eternity. I'm still wondering if I can ever put that into words. And open up my mouth to try when the lights come on with a click. Dull, naked yellow bulbs. A wide space row of them hung from the ceiling. Heavy footsteps creak on the floorboard. And Ronnie's low, hot snigger fills the attic room. A plank across the windowsill. Stones to weigh it. Then the other two planks, bracketed by stones, the ends rested together. I loop the rope through thick, shaking fingers, tie it tight. Then the string. Then I tie on the three strings, the trinity of this black and secular faith. Something grown, the flared, complicated cup of a beech nut, the string tied round its brittle stem. Something made, the nail, old and rusted, something dead, the bird's leg, its claws splayed and reptilian. A tin pub ashtray goes in the middle, between the flickering candles. In it go things I don't need anymore, my driver's license, two years old, my national insurance card snapped and broken, the last crumpled notes of papered money. I see my face in the glass, white and pale and gaunt, wasted, looks slack on the skull, like the skin's ready to fall off the bone, a nod cracked bureau and a little pocket notepad, I scribble my prayer on one piece, fold it up tight, shred the others to add to the rest, anything else I can find that'll burn goes in the ashtray too, my folded note goes on top, my offering? What can offer them? What can I give? What do I have they'll value? A glassine baggie of reddish-brown dust. A few coins. What else can I give up? To back up my plea for another chance. To not let one mistake, one failure of nerve, not to be always held against me. My blood, my tears. I nick myself and drip the blood onto the rest. A scrap of tissue soaks up and adds the tears. At last it's time, the moment of truth. I strike the matches, thrust them one by one into the kindling. As the fire flares, my empty harrowed face shows in the window glass. When it dies there, other faces, narrow pale blurs in the storm, hovering in the dark and regarding me with cold slanting eyes. A scream locks in my throat, on the brink of escape, even though I've called for them. And then they're gone. Gone, but not gone. Gone from the window, but not from what remains of Hillview. I hear, 
feel movement behind me, swift, sudden, skittish, ghostly, in the collapsing corridors, in the gaps between the floors and the ceilings. I don't turn around. I sit, fingers locked on my hands till the knuckles whiten and I wait. There's something in the air, a thrumming, a buzzing, like sitting beneath pylon, like being next to a generator or a live cable, an insect hive. I'm not alone. Hello, Tinny, says Scabs. Ronnie's sniggering. It's like Kieran Haversnigger, only older, hoarser, not much deeper despite his size. He's just another Kieran Harvest with Brownlow's tendencies to boot. Been here listening to that, he says. Fuck knows how I didn't piss myself laughing listening to all that shite. Scab shifts position, so she's just slightly ahead of me, closer to him. I can feel her beside me, tight and taut and rigid, but at the same time she doesn't seem so strong now. Her strength's in her brains, outweighting the bastards. But this time they got ahead of her, or Ronnie did, and now she's just a teenage girl, and he's Ronnie, an animal, a beast. She won't stand any more of a chance than I would. Crail, he laughs softly. The fuck did you get that old shite from? He puts his meaty hands together, cracks the knuckles. And all of this old bollocks, he makes for the shrine. Scab sees what he's about and pushes her aside. Crouching and tensing ready to fight, but he just kicks her hard in the stomach and she doubles up and goes flying, landing on the boards, retching, clutching her belly, knees pulled up to her chin. I'm frozen as Ronnie goes past me. He's decked scabs. He's kicked scabs to the ground like she was nothing. Her face is screwed up and she's crying with pain, really crying. I can see the tears streaking down her face. It's all bollocks. Ronnie's foot stamps down on the shrine. Rocks scatter away and the planks collapse. He kicks and stamps at it. I hear little things break with a brutal crunch under his boots. The portal glass, the mask skull. The ashtray scatters embers and ashes across the board and Ronnie stomps on them. Crail, crail, my fucking ass! You belong to us, you stupid little fucking slag. He grabs her by the head and pulls her up. Scrabs tries not to scream, but a high snarling animal noise comes out through her clenched teeth and her eyes spill tears like rivers and Ronnie laughs. We own you, he says, fucking always. And I run in. I scream something, I can never remember what, and rot at him in the one act of physical courage I will ever commit. I kick and punch at him. Think go for the balls because that'll hurt. But then his other hand grabs my hair and he shakes me like a rat. I scream. Can't help myself. The pain's too bad. Shut up. He throws me to the ground and kicks me in the ribs. Scabs makes a noise and I hear another blow. The attic rocks and spins. My face in the dusty boards. Right, you. He's speaking to me. And I know it's coming. I roll onto my side, still wheezing my breath. Scabs has slumped onto her back, head lolled to one side, face turned away from me, 
legs tangled up and limp, arms outflung. As for crucifixion, Ronnie grins down at me and starts to unbuckle his belt. Fucking waiting for Brownlow to finish with you, he says, unzips his fly and starts to fondle himself. I'm having a piece of that tonight myself. There's a humming in my ears, but then it dies. Instead, there's a low thrumming, a buzz, like a power line. There's little white specks of glittering, glassy light swimming in my sight. And then they aren't there anymore. Or rather, they've migrated into the shadows around the circles of weak light painted on the floors by the bare bulbs. They're in pairs, twinned like eyes, like eyes. They are eyes. I realize, just as they start moving, darting into the light to meet Ronnie. They are. They are. I can't describe them. How can I try? They shiver and flicker and blur, like the picture of a TV when the reception's bad. A flicker, a blur, a darting streak of snatched, smeared blackness. Then it all seemed to snap to a halt quiver into a shivering, unstable stasis, then blurring and flickering and vanishing again. Ronnie lets out a faint, throttled moan. His face is slack and his eyes weave back and forth. His big meaty fists clench and unclench. A dark stain widens at his crotch. It's as if they've grown so far beyond the human form that any shapes a limitation something that can only be held by effort and concentration. How else to describe them? Imagine thin, black, jagged shapes scribbled in the shadows on the air, impossibly long limbs, all of them black except for the faces, the narrow, hawkish faces, beautiful and cold and cruel, and watchful, deadly and pitiless, with slanted eyes, eyes that glow, with a cold, pale light. Oh, I know them. Of course I know them. What else could they be? The Krail have come. Theirs is a terrible beauty, but it's a beauty nonetheless. Scabs is stirring, waking. Light gleams in her open eyes. She looks up as one of the shadow figures leans over her and she smiles like a child and reaches up a hand to take the thin black claw that reaches down toward her like a bristling of blackened sticks. I watch, clambering upright as she is drawn upright and stands before the crail, reaching tentatively out to caress its raggedy black shape, while its face, inscrutable as a painted mask, knowing who knows what emotions that any human would understand, surveys her. Two or three of the crail circle Ronnie, darting, near vanishing, reappearing, their long, black, shadowy hands faint swift, ripping blows at him, which he flinches from with panic cries. Scabs tans to look over her shoulder at him, sees his terror, and smiles. Over near the window, a little orange sparks and whiffs of smoke. There's a faint scent of burning in the dusty air. A crail approaches it, extends a long black hand to caress the smoke. 
It writhes and coils beneath his, her, its fingers. It's like watching someone play with a pet snake. Its fingers circle over the embers and then open. They squeeze gently at the air, and as I watch the smoke strings upward, and the amber glow brightens, brightens, then flickers into a tongue of flame. Scabs has seen this too, and is watching rapidly. The tongue becomes a rushing surge, dancing easily under the crail's hand. A quick motion and the flame has left the ground, and instead it writhes and twines around the hand. The crail's other hand cups and molds the fire like so much clay. Ronnie has turned slowly to face the crail with the fire. Its hands now cup a ball of flickering incandescence. It holds it up and the fire spurts out. A brief jet licking Ronnie for only a second, but it's enough. He screams. Fire clings to his face, chest, hands, then becomes black smoke and pours upwards and is gone. He staggers and falls to his knees. And I see he has no face anymore. Only the white bone grinned through the black and charcoal that was his face. His hands are bone claws, and his ribs show through at his chest. Yes, you bastard, says Scabs. Yes, yes. Ronnie's trying to scream, but can only make thin, muffled, whining sounds. The crayo close in on him. And that's when I run. As I do, I hear Scabs scream my name. The fire alarm is shrilling as I run through the corridors. I pass a window, a first floor window, and something sweeps fast, carrying a ball of glowing, brilliant fire. People are screaming now. I run for the stairs. Behind me I thunder in feet. I reach the hallway. As I run for the main door, I hear a voice shouting. Turn as I pass the doorway to an office and see Brownlow on his dressing gown, clutching a phone and shouting into it. Hello? Hello? For fuck's sake! Then he turns and sees me. You! Does he know? Somehow the unwanted role I played. You! You! You little shit! But the window behind him explodes, and something thin and black and ragged, with a pale and beautiful face, crouches in the frame cupping fire in its hands. Flame shoots out, and Brownlow is ablaze. He flails, screaming around the office. Papers ignite. Another ray of fire catches him when he falls. The crayon blurs into the room to stand above the thrashing, screeching thing on the floor, blasting it with flames until its struggles cease. It's still doing so as I back out and stumble away, as if hosing every trace of Brownlow from the earth with fire instead of water, cleaning it of filth. I make it out of the door, and something black and cackling suits by me, trailing fire in its wake, then flinging it against Hillview's walls. Another flies to cling against a wall and blasts fire through a window, holding it steady and remorselessly, despite the screams from within. The whole building's already going up. There are screams, but are they only of terror and pain? Are there other notes in there, ones of exultation and transcendence? Can I hear Scab's voice among them? 
I can't be sure. The Creole bolt and weave around the destruction they're causing. Someone runs screaming out the front door, falls writhing at my feet, rolling on his back to put out the flames. Kieran Harvest. In spite of everything he's done, I reach out to help him, but he coughs, smoke and blood spilling from his mouth, then falls back and lies still, eyes fixed open, catching the sight of Hillview's flames. The screams are dying away, it's just the crackle of flames and the dark, tattered figures flitting around the collapsing rooftops, going still, gazing down at me with their cold, bright, slanted, pale eyes. I turn and run, through the woods and into the night, not even caring that these are the Crayle's true domain. I don't stop and I don't look back, not even when I think I hear a lone, forlorn cry of Tinny far behind me, fading on the cold night wind. I can see her face in the window glass. It scabs at what was her. In some ways she looks no different. In others the difference is vast. Her narrow face is narrower, more angular still than it was, and the wild brambly black hair, more so than ever, like a crown of painted thorns. Her mouth is the red of berries and blood, changed but in a sense simply made more of what she always was. But the eyes, the eyes are utterly different, slitted and aglow at the pale light of winter moon. Other shapes move behind her, they whisper and they rustle, and beyond the window, clinging to the ruined walls or hovering in the night. Hello, scabs, I say. I'm not scabs anymore, Tinny. Her voice is a kind of cold music, bringing warmth and chills as one. I noticed, ha, a brief laugh, a single note, showing teeth grown to points. She studies me in the glass. But there's still enough of her to count, Tinny, at least as far as you're concerned. A sob clinches my throat. My eyes sting. Something brittle and feathery caresses my head. I don't look at my reflection to see what it is. It's horrible out there, Scabs. I know, darling. I tried to tell you. I know you did. You were right. I ended up in more places like this afterwards. Would have been worse if I hadn't stopped trying to tell folk what really happened here. They'd never believe you. They never did. They let me out in the end. There's nowhere to go. I don't fit, not anywhere. The brittle, feathery thing strokes my head. Sweetheart, I'm so sorry. Scabs, you are right, and I love you. Tinny, please, please, Scabs, take me. Take me like they took you, please. I can't. Bear me away. Tinny, I can't. Don't leave me like this. Please, Scabs, I said you are right. Do you want me to beg? That it, I'm begging you, Scabs, I'm fucking begging you. She laughs. The brittle thing leaves my head. When I look in the glass, I see it's covering her mouth. I'm sorry, she says. At last. People just look so funny to us now. Even you, Tinny. Please, Scabs, please. I can't. 
There's a touch of impatience, of irritation in her voice. Don't you understand, Tinny? Can't you? It's too late now. You're too old. Scabs. It's a whisper and a breath and a prayer. It's not that I won't, Tinny. It's that I can't. It has to happen when you're young. It's the only way you can take the change. That night, here at Hillview, it wouldn't have worked if I'd been older. Don't you see? You've lost your chance, Tinny. I'm sorry. But you can never be one of us now. The noise that comes out of me doesn't have a name. A howl, a wail. It's none of these, more than any of them. When it's spent, I fall forward to my knees. She gathers close to me, a thin, brittle body, but oh so terribly strong. Her long, terrible fingers stroke me. Poor, poor little Tinny, she says at last. I loved you. I really did. I tried to say I loved her too. Still do. But I'm crying too hard. Did I ever really love her? Or was it just need, comfort, sheltering, pubescent lust? doesn't matter now. All that matters is that I had my chance and I blew it. Her soft lips brush my cheek and draw blood. I'm sorry, my love, she says, and then she's gone. I can tell. I'm alone again, and that strange thrumming in the air is gone. I climb slowly to my feet and look around. I don't know how long I wait before I clamber back out of the nest and begin the long descent into the dark. Perhaps she gives me that one last gift, guiding my steps safely down. I wait in the car till dawn comes, hoping against hope she'll change her mind, come back, give me something, at least try. She does not. Crows call on the birch trees, a thin line of weak, Grey light shows in the east. I tape the hose to the exhaust pipe, feed the other into the cortina. I turn on the engine and let it run. I breathe deep. The engine sound becomes the thrum of the air around which Scabs has become. A little later it becomes Scabs' voice, as I once knew, murmuring to me of the crail as she pillows my head on her breasts, singing all the pretty horses to me. Her song fades away, back into the engine's growl. Scabs, hear my prayer. Let my cry come unto thee. Spread thy dark wings. Bear me away. That was Simon Bestwick's The Children of Moloch, as read to us by J.K. Shepler. Jedediah Kalanu Shepler was born in Texas. He spent formative years in Northern California, then returned to Texas to get an honors degree, summa cum laude, in anthropology from the University of Houston. He lives in the traditions of both the European Renaissance and feudal Japan, and believes diverse pursuits and interests build keen minds and bodies. He is consequently a student of martial arts, a practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and is a surfer, artist, and filmmaker. He's acted in and produced music videos, as well as served as a rigger, greensman, propman, and stunt coordinator. He also dabbles in music. Jed has worked in logistics, dog training, security, education, and other jobs, 
and says that he is not entirely sure he's qualified to do anything, but that he's a great respecter of fine storytelling and of the tellers of tales, and that he is very proud to contribute his narrations. Currently, Jed is working on a book about late 19th and early 20th century glass bottles, found in Houston and of the forgotten history that is all around us and just under our feet. He lives in the Houston Heights of Texas and likes cats and dogs, but doesn't have any, and sometimes he scribbles short, humorous movie reviews that no one reads. You can correct that last bit by stopping by his site at downthemoviehole.blogspot.com. Of course, you'll find a link to him in the show notes. And that will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Take care of yourselves this week, and join us again for another episode of Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 